beautiful souls and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm your host Elle and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. Today I have another episode for you and this is an unconventional conversations episode with me and Courtney. I'm really excited about this episode as we're going to be talking all about our childhoods and experiences that we went through and how it shaped us and shapes our parenting views essentially. So yeah, we're gonna be kind of talking about all of that. Just note that this could be a triggering episode, so this is a trigger warning as we do talk about some heavy topics at some points and I don't know, I just think it's going to be really interesting to see how our different ways of growing up have impacted our parenting rules and how we would want to raise and parent our own children. So hopefully you can get some insight from this and maybe even discover some more inner child healing that you are needing to do as well because I feel like inner child healing can be so beneficial and I truly feel like we all could benefit from it. So yeah, without further ado, let's just jump into today's episode. We're so excited to be recording again another episode of the Unconventional Conversations series with me and Courtney. And today's episode is really exciting, but it's also just, I'm going to give a trigger warning because we do talk about inner child and parenting and childhood experiences and things like that. So that's just a trigger warning. And I'm also going to mention that this is all as well very hypothetical for half of this because what we're going to be talking about essentially is how we were raised, what we learned from it, and how that actually affects us when it comes to our own parenting views. And again, this is all hypothetical because we are not parents as of right now. So of course, we have no firsthand experience parenting. So for sure, things could change. Absolutely. I'm sure things will change, but this is all just hypothetical. And that's just, I just want to make that disclaimer. And we're also not trying to shame anybody at all by our parenting views and things like that. So that's another disclaimer. But yeah, so how are you today, Courtney? I'm good. Very, it's very sleepy, but should we tell them what the, time it is? <laughs> uh, what is it? Three o'clock in the morning where you are and two o'clock where I am. Yeah. Three o'clock where I am and two o'clock in the morning where she is at. So that is insane. And I just woke up and you're going to go to bed soon. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Well, she's got that nightlife um, schedule because of nursing for being a nurse. Yeah. I, I slept all day. Woke up for like a few hours and did some things and then I fell back asleep. It's always how it happens. Sleep is so important though. I feel like I always make excuses for myself as to why I should just stay up as late as possible and get like the littlest amount of sleep. Because <laughs> my creative mind is just like, I want to create, I want to work, I want to like brainstorm. My like whole functioning system revolves around sleep like sleep makes me so happy like having the coziest bed and all the comfiest pillows and just looking at like my bed and knowing how amazing it feels to be asleep in it is priceless to me (laughs) 
So for all of my astrology peeps, I want you to chime in. Well, obviously, you know, where you're at. Taurus. And... No! <laughs> what do you think it is? What do you think oh, it is? Sorry, she gives off Taurus moon vibes, right? Because she is a Taurus moon. That is heavy Taurus moon vibes. Sleep Which on Which is demand. weird because I'm pretty sure you said my husband is a Taurus moon and he has so much trouble revolving around sleep. Mm, yes, he's also a Taurus moon. But I do feel like he could sleep for a decent amount of time once he fi- finally falls asleep. Yeah, once he doesn't have like external pressures, I've seen him sleep like 16 or 17 hours like straight. <laughs> so crazy yeah well yeah so that's kind of where we're at right now just chilling making this really early morning podcast for you guys because we feel inspired so that's always fun yeah so I guess let's just jump into this so what we're essentially going to be doing is I have questions written down that are prompting us to talk about our childhood and our childhood experiences and what we learned from it so I'm going to start there and then I'll move on to the questions that we are going to be answering when it comes to our parenting rules, our views on certain situations when it comes to parenting. And hopefully this is just, I don't know, I guess a learning experience through this conversation and just maybe gives you a different perspective when it comes to your own childhood and healing your inner child and parenting. So let's get started. The first question is, what was something as a child you wish you had more of and what did you learn from the lack of having this Mm -hmm. so there's an interesting book that which is I kind of think like my part of my inspiration for us starting this podcast comes from like red table talks essentially and they were talking about a book called mother I think it's like mother hunger I've listened to part of it and to finish it But it talks about like three main things that you get from your mother. It's nurturing, protection, and guidance. And to be fair, I think I didn't get any of those. I will say, I think in my preteen years, I really didn't get the nurturing that I needed or or guidance. And I think what it did is it created toxic hyper-independence. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I became super independent to a point where like now I have a hard time taking contribution from other people about sometimes about the way that I do things or the way that I carry myself or uh, just kind of like those kinds of things. Like I feel like it's almost made it harder for me to get feedback. Whereas like if you were, if people were more involved and more nurturing when I was at that age, I'd be able to like process criticism better. Mm, that's powerful. But also yeah. know when to ask for help because I don't know how to ask for help either. And then I'm exhausted because I try to do all the things I need to do on my own. Mm, I was just going to say that I can relate to that a lot, especially the hyper independence thing, because I'm very similar. I don't like to ask for help. I'd rather just solve all of my own problems. And I think, yeah, it's because as children, we were forced to kind of solve our own problems, especially emotional problems. For me, at least, that was something that was what I lacked was the emotional support or like someone to help you work through your emotions. Or like, I think we both experienced a fair amount of this, the invalidation of us even allowed to have feelings. Like there wasn't any space. I remember my mom would want to have these huge, long conversations. There were times where we literally got stuck at the kitchen table for like six hours talking in a loop about the same thing that we had done wrong and we were in trouble. And it was 
the whole conversation was her basically saying like, you don't have a right to have feelings because of your behavior. You hurt me and I'm disappointed in you. And I can't believe that you would even like have fake tears basically is what she would do to me and my sister. And so now my sister and I both have issues processing emotional feelings and having them. Mm -hmm. I would definitely understand why. And when you say like you have difficulty processing them, what is your automatic response when it comes to like emotions? Like when you find yourself feeling them, what what's usually your response? I have two. One from when I was younger, my immediate like younger response was anger. I used to break stuff. I used to physically like hurt myself, like punch myself and stuff because that was just, I felt like all of the emotions I had just built up until they were anger. And Mm. then that was how it came out. And I was always disappointed after I had that angry, angry release because I would break something that I actually really valued or something that happened to be sentimental to me. Now it's still pretty dangerous because the way I deal with it is usually some type of negative self-talk. Like, you're not good enough. You don't deserve to be here. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Like, I can't believe you did that. All this stuff. You're embarrassing. Like All these things that just end up circling back to like not accepting myself. Oh, yeah. The negative self-talk is something I, I do too. And yeah, you like... just like, it, it almost becomes like this really dangerous habit. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's so great is I love that we're aware of it though. Because some people I, do it and they're not even that aware of it, that it becomes autopilot. Yeah, I that's how I was, though, because it took a lot of, like, me having a lot of, like, physical breakdowns in front of Trev for him to be like, or us even disagreeing on things and then me being like, you don't care about me, blah, 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 and just, like, jumping to that conclusion right away. And him being like, just because we're having discourse doesn't mean I don't care about you. It means we're trying to communicate in some way and we're on opposite perspectives. And he was the one who pointed out, like, you know, every time something goes wrong, you can't just get quiet and get in your head and then start spiraling about how you're terrible. It's not all your fault. So that kind of like made me think like, hmm, maybe it's not all my fault. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I should accept some responsibility without spiraling. Yes, that is great perspective. He's always so wise. He always has great advice. For others, he should take his own advice. No, I know. I feel like that's how a lot of us are, though. We're so good at giving it. But then when it comes to taking our own advice, it's like, why do we close our, we like run away from it? Something I'm still working through, that's for sure. So I guess it's safe to say that something we both really lacked was emotional support, for sure, and validation for our emotions. And yeah, I can definitely relate to that many times where I just felt like my anxiety that I was struggling with as a child was all in my head and that I was just making it up or over-exaggerating and those feelings weren't real. And so that was always really hard for me. So I would just close off and keep problems to myself. And now I do struggle to ask for help when I need it. And I do struggle to allow myself to feel upset still because even to this day, I'll realize like I'm upset about something and I'll tell myself, why are you upset about this? Like, this isn't a big deal. Stop being upset. But that's actually 
a lack of validating my emotion and therefore I'm storing that emotion instead Mm -hmm. of processing it and releasing it. So that's something I'm definitely working on. And I think something that I've learned though through all of this too is I, I didn't learn this right away. It's not until the past like year or two that I've really been focusing on this, but it's setting emotional boundaries because I also feel like when you were never taught how to process your own emotions, you learned how to do it on your own and therefore you also kind of now take on this role of wanting to help others do the same. And at times that could be very draining because you probably are overgiving or overextending yourself. At least that's for me, I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to like help fix people. And it's like, stop doing that. Like, and people don't have to, people don't need to be fixed. Also, that kind of mentality is very damaging. The hyper like need to fix. I wonder where, where do you feel like that might come from? It, It came from my dad for sure. I was just going to say that, but I didn't want to like, I didn't want to answer it for you. I wanted you to No, yeah, it. yeah. It definitely came from my dad because I don't want to say it in like a bad way, but like as a child, he appeared to me as broken mm-hmm. because he was constantly depressed. He never moved off the couch. He was always upset, angry, mad in some way. Like I could tell he was in pain and hurting. And also this was another realization. I talked about this on my last podcast episode a little bit, but another realization that I had was that I was constantly being put as a child in situations where I, not that I needed to, but I felt like everybody around me was so sad and upset that I felt like I needed to be everybody's comfort because they were upset. So it was like, I was trying to be that sponge that absorbed their negativity or their their like their pain and just wanted to make it all better because of you know yeah, experiencing you felt like that. yeah that makes sense you feel like you basically you have to take on the role of fixing everyone's adult emotional problems yeah. by being like it's there's comedians that talk about it like basically like oh my parents were so like depressed and upset that I just became like a jester or a clown yeah, or you know whatever you yeah, need to be because for sure. you're like I just didn't want them to be upset anymore so I yeah I like created this false narrative of, of who I am to myself exactly. and it creates anxiety yeah exactly and it wasn't even just with my family or my parents but it was also with my friends as well mm-hmm. like seeing my friends go through traumatic situations like losing two parents within the span of two months that puts you in a therapist role as a child without realizing it same yeah. when your dad's just sitting there opening up about all of his life problems to you and you're just like nine years old absorbing that yeah uh, that's actually I will recognize I feel like a lot of our early friendship I definitely turned to you for a lot of emotional support in a lot of ways like I asked for your advice a lot and the only time we ever had a falling out was because I kept asking for your advice and completely ignored <laughs> completely ignored it all but you know what's what's interesting though is that I never feel that way about our friendship Mm. I never feel like you're draining at all when it comes to like you know me being emotionally supportive for you and I think that it's important for friends to have emotional support with one another but it's more so I guess about me realizing my lack of boundaries when it comes to certain I think I think you need a healthy yeah I think you need a healthy back and forth maybe so like friendships that aren't putting in the same amount of emotional availability that you're putting in are exhausting 
but you've also emotionally supported like my whole family because now you're even helping like my sister. So I love it. I love it. Honestly. And that's another thing that, that I struggle with is that I actually enjoy helping people. I, I think that's mm-hmm. because that's what I lacked. Right. So that's what I'm learning. Wow. We're on the first question. Shoot. Maybe we should keep going. Cause I feel like we could get sidetracked so easily. Cause we just, okay. Yes. We have such good conversation. Okay. So what was your biggest fear as a child and where did it stem from? That's a good one to think about. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, if you already have one, because I'm kind of like thinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had two. One that I really struggled with all of my childhood was fire. I had a fear of fire. I had a fear that my house was going to burn down. And that is definitely because I watched my neighbor's house burn down when um, you know who I'm talking about. When her house was on fire, I remember being woken up and I want to say I was probably like six or seven. I was really young and yeah, I got woken up by it. And all of a sudden I just remember sitting in my front living room window, just watching the house in flames because it was directly across the street from me. Just engulfed. Engulfed. And I'm just, what is happening? That's so scary. And I just knew that fire wasn't a good thing because, you know, you're always taught like, don't mess with fire. So every night before bed, I would ask my mom, like, did you blow out all the candles? And I had to ask her because if I did not ask her, I could not sleep. And I would literally wake her up from her sleep to ask her this question. That's how bad my anxiety was. And then the other one was, of course, fear of loss. I was afraid of losing my mom, especially because of seeing my friend lose her mom at such a young age. And my mom was at the time a very comforting energy for me because she was more patient and she was the calm in the storm of like my dad. So Mm -hmm. I really felt calm around her. When it came to, you know, death, I was so afraid of losing her. So then I would panic about like loss and death, just seeing death at a young age. Did you think of yours? That makes sense. Yeah, I think my two were getting in trouble for unknown reasons mm-hmm. and rejection. It has a little more to do with, I mean, it stems from my parents, but correlates more so to like kids in school. I would say the getting in trouble for unknown reasons, physical violence in my house was like never restrained. I was, I know you put a trigger warning, but like I was hit with wooden spoons and shoes and threatened with belts and paddles and hit with hands and I think like the most vivid thing I remember is being like I think I was like 11 years old and my mom tried to like punch me across the face and I started fighting back because I was like I don't want to be treated this way anymore just because you're angry and I'm in trouble doesn't make this acceptable and yeah I physically fought my mom because I wanted to take a stance and be like this is unacceptable and I'm not going to do this anymore which now it makes sense that that's probably not the best approach but that was what I was taught because that's what she was showing me And then there was like another time I was older. I want to say I was like 14 or 15 and she hit me like you used to have like house phones are not a thing anymore. Everyone used to have a house phone. I remember those. Yeah. So we had like a cordless house phone that had like a phone clip on it so you could walk around the house and like clean and have your house phone. So if it rang, you could answer it. She hit me with the phone so hard. And I remember my sister getting mad at her and like saying something to her later on that I had the imprint of the clip on my butt oh my God. and me showing my sister and my sister being like, that's too far. Like, come on. Cause my sister was much older by then. And was like, this isn't, 
don't do that. And, you know, <clears throat> you say that and it's just like, I guess I really struggle when people say that hitting children is okay. Like in any form. I just don't I never understand it. People do it to animals too. People will put like their dog's nose and whatever they got into. Oh, that And then whack their so face. Much. Or do it. People, I've seen people do it to cats. I've I do seen- not hit my animals at all. If they got into something, it's because I left it out. I created that opportunity. And I, when I get upset about it, I need to take personal responsibility for what's going on now. Mm-hmm. It is my fault. Mm-hmm. I, you mentioned that I will never forget the one time when my dad was so frustrated at my cats for whatever reason when I was a kid and we had a basement and he was like, whenever they were bothering him, you know, would put him, put the cats in the basement or whatever. But there was this one time where he literally took the cat and like chucked it down the basement stairs basically. And I just remember being so, I guess, traumatized by that because I was like, what are you doing to this poor animal? You just, and I was super young. So seeing him throw the cat down the stairs like that really bothered me like to my core. Yeah. Cause it's like a living creature. And to me, We'll get more into this later, but the basic gist is if I'm going to have children, I want to have pets first and I'm going to mimic how I treat my pets, how I want to parent, because if I don't have the patience to have my pets, I don't have the patience to be a parent. So I have to start small and then work my way up. I love that. I definitely agree with you on that. And I definitely do that, especially with my dog, because if anybody knows me, my dog (laughs) tests my patience all the time. (laughs) Yeah, but he's such a good boy. He is. He's such a cutie. Ugh. He just wants to play and he's really goofy and clumsy and big. Yeah, exactly. I think those are his things. He doesn't realize. He means well. So I guess this kind of ties into a little bit of what we were just talking about. But the question is, what is a memory that you have where you got in trouble, into trouble? What did you do that got you into the most trouble? I have a ridiculous one. So me and my sister get a computer from our grandfather, my father's father. And because it's a computer for us kids, it's supposed to be like for us to learn and play games on and use for school. My stepdad is jealous, of course, and wants to be on the computer all the time, but the computer's in our room. Stepdad is just a terribly disgusting person. Don't want him in my room, but whatever, fine. Me and my sister... We then got a printer for that computer. And of course, we wanted to like print back in the day, you still to like print individual pages of um, Crayola coloring books and stuff. I used to do that. So much fun. <clears throat> so we used to print them and color on them and we would draw on the paper, whatever. And I guess we were either poor or computer paper happened to be really, really expensive back in the day. I, got uh, because I, I can relate to that. You get in trouble for the me computer. Me and my right? sister, yeah. Me and my sister got beat with wooden spoons oh. because we used all the computer paper when my mom finally needed it for something important. She didn't have it. Oh. And I was like, you could have just gone to the store. You could have just had a conversation with us about how not to use it all or to let you know when we run low. And you could have just gone to the store and bought more. You didn't have to like physically harm us. And it was really traumatic. I remember me and my sister to this day, like we can kind of laugh about it now because we basically laugh at how dysfunctional it was because it was just like you ruined part of a connection you had with your kid by being physically violent with them over paper. That's horrible. Truly. I will mention too, my sister doesn't hit her kids either. My sister does not hit her kids because of all this. I love a cycle breaker. 
it just it breaks my heart that and like I try to no I can't even like it's just it's really a struggle for me to like sympathize with the parent at all in that situation like I get that they weren't (laughs) taught properly but like come on you get taught not to hit adults so what makes it okay to hit a child kids Mm -hmm. and what makes it okay what do you think like even like the lack of even on the butt by the way just saying even on the butt it's just not my thing you know on the butt but think about the lack of introspection of like for my mom she would hit us or something and then like it she would just like disappear you know what I mean like like she didn't even like apologize or care my dad had like I feel like he's like he probably had kicked me in the butt one good time and then I think like one time I let go of his hand when we were crossing the street when I was little and then he like spanked me when I got to the other side because he was scared I was gonna get hit by a car and both times like he had so much remorse like immediately he immediately was like oh my god you shouldn't have done that and I shouldn't have hit you but I was really scared I thought you were gonna die and it was like your anxiety response is physical harm that's not okay yeah no it's not okay (laughs) but at least he had remorse about it like he had some kind of conscience my mom never ever even when I was an adult and she was dying came to me and said I'm sorry for all the physical harm I did to you and I let happen to you because that wasn't right it breaks my heart honestly I will say that I do feel very blessed to have not had to experience like physical abuse like that because my dad he was more so a I don't know I guess like a verbally just anger just anger but like never hit me I guess he said he hit me like once and I laughed at him so he stopped <laughs> that's but, so, you're such a badass but Someone I just cannot say this just look back at brother. him and laugh like for my bro- for me it was like I had to sit back and watch or see my brother be the mm. one that got like spanked yeah so you kind of you still like experienced it through witnessing you still had some type of trauma because you were you're such an empath that you were probably absorbing a lot of the feelings that your brother had that's I think that's what I struggle with the most and I think that's why too I struggle to want to make everybody feel safe I guess it's kind of like I want people to feel safe around me Mm-hmm. I don't want them to feel like they're afraid of me or feel like, you know, I'm going to do something to hurt them. And I guess maybe it stems from seeing abuse around me, especially too with friends, because I have been in homes where I've seen it happen and heard it happen to a friend. And that also really bothered me. So like, that's what I feel like. At least my mom was fake nice when my friends were over. Oh, I know. Yeah. I never seen her luckily hit you. Thank goodness. No, she wouldn't. I not handle that. It's just, it's not fun watching somebody get hit like that. And that's why I, I struggle when, like, people watch fighting or just slasher movies or anything like that. I physically just, ugh, like, it bothers me. For me, I think once I got to a point in my teen years and I was in school and whatnot, and my dad was not around, so my dad left at a really young age, and he was the more angry person in my life. So when Wait, it came I feel to like your mom just came in your room and was like, Lauren? Elizabeth I can't believe you didn't do this yeah discipline from my mom was very like soft and some would say too soft but there was this one time where I really made her mad and I remember just being so shocked that she was mad because she didn't get mad and and that was a thing she was not really ever around 
So I guess for me, it was more so like parents weren't there to really like teach me mm. or you guide had me. so much freedom at yeah, a very like a young age it was a lot of freedom at a young age forced to grow up fast but I essentially I mean, got my probably, license you and... probably don't like this now but at least you didn't get pregnant oh jeez, I know right now I'm like come on let's get pregnant but mm-hmm. um yeah but so for me I had just got my license I was the only one in my grade because I had stayed back long story about that but essentially I was the only one with my license and people wanted me to drive them to the basketball game and I wasn't supposed to be driving people yet because mm-hmm. I remember I this just night. got my license so I'm driving them even though I'm not supposed to be and my mom's boyfriend at the time his parents see me driving them and hit up my mom and let her know and then my mom starts Such following bastards me. like mind your own business right I'm trying to get away with stuff Right. And then so then my mom starts following me to the basketball game and I had no idea. This until is I got all there. before GPS tracking. <laughs> she didn't even Almost. have GPS tracking then. She didn't even have didn't GPS even tracking. She, found she still found you. She still found me. So then um I get to the game, she pulls up next to me and I'm like, Oh crap, that's my mom. And my friends like everybody out of my car. <laughs> she's like freaking out on me, like yelling at me, which she never yells, so that was very interesting. Um, and she basically tells me to leave my car there. My friends have to get a different ride. I have to go in the car with her. And I remember being so mad at her and I started causing a scene and I told her I hated her. Yeah, I was not the greatest daughter. I definitely Mm -hmm. had my, my moments. Angsty teen. I had a lot of resentment within me. So, and then I got to a point where I started just like bawling my eyes out, like emotional release that I had to do. And she told me, born Elizabeth do you want to go to a mental hospital right now? I will bring you to a mental hospital. Oh my God. And then I got home, took all of my stuff out of my closet, threw everything in my room, just threw everything around and had a huge temper tantrum. Yeah, it was good times. That was me feeling like I was trying to be controlled after having so much time. That was your sad rebellion. Yeah, well, it was like, having no control and then all of a sudden somebody tries to control you who doesn't usually control you is for me as a teen it was like frustrating but at the same time I'm yeah, grateful you're like where's the boundary yeah at the same time I'm grateful that you know my mom was relatively patient and that's who I had to grow up with after my early childhood years I think most of my painful memories come from like early childhood I feel like once I was in college and you were like in your later years of high school and I think we were we were both yeah we were both serving and then when you got to college and you still like lived with your mom we were out all the time doing stuff like we would just go for car rides really late at night and she didn't even like bad eyelash she let us kind of just like do whatever we wanted. I know and I think it's because she could feel the resentment within me and she also worked a lot and when she wasn't working she dated so she was never really home because of that like she would even sleep Mm -hmm. over her like boyfriend's house and I would have the house to myself remember that a lot a lot like she was not around very often but so the next question is what was something your parents taught you that has been extremely valuable probably I want immediately I want to say that everything comes with a price but what I, I don't mean that in a traditional way I mean like I mean in the sense of like if you want nice things You have to work for them, but you should appreciate them because both my parents made me do chores. My mom probably made me do too many and my like to a ridiculous level. 
level where she would leave like these huge lists when she would go to work and me and my sister would basically clean the entire house and like it was like things that like we didn't even do like do her laundry but it it instilled in me this ability to like organize and set up a home and clean that I'm not sure I would have if I didn't have that like force structure that's good insight for sure and then what about your dad I think he he taught me how to try not to get upset Mm. I think he taught me how to make sure you love people Mm, that's a beautiful one he always had such a big heart he really did I need to learn how to stuff it um no temporarily (laughs) let it out I think he taught me how to always love people especially I think he knew that he was getting sicker and sicker, but I was, despite him like getting married a third time and having more children, I always knew that he really loved each one of us kids individually and he never lacked in expressing it. Whether he had struggled with anger problems and was in counseling, at least he was trying to me, which always made me feel like, you know, that was a step further than what my mom was trying to do. You know, he was trying to be introspective. He was trying to look for the reasons. He was trying to work on the reasons. And he always did it in the name of his family, whether it's my little spiritual family like you and some of my friends here or my actual physical family. It's it's really, really important to me. I think I gained from him like this sense of justice and loyalty that is ingrained in me so deeply that uh sometimes it can be bad because when I feel wronged I'm just like Mm. I can get really petty (laughs) it cuts deep yeah those are beautiful though I love that for me I think something that my mom taught me which I'm very grateful for is to never stop going after what you want career-wise still doing it she's still doing it she always goes after her career goals and she will I mean she had to learn how to be pretty independent even though yeah she did struggle she did still date and try to like look for the man (laughs) you know to help support her whatever but most of the time she really was supporting us by herself and I saw that which is a blessing and a curse at the same time because again it just also made my hyper independence a lot worse But at the same time, it also is a good thing to be independent as well, in my opinion, to a point, because you're able to do things for yourself and you don't have to worry about not having somebody there to do it for you. You ever feel like you missed a a bit of uh, teenage years, like important guidance from your mom because she was so busy, like, like almost not that she did this intentionally, but that like work and dating became more of a priority. Absolutely. Which would be yeah. like which would be like a rejection wound? Definitely. I definitely do struggle a lot <laughs> with rejection from both my parents. And the thing is is that like I always and I struggle with it like saying that because I really do love my mom so much and me and my dad have a really great relationship now, but I I have to say like yeah, there is points where my mom was not around when I needed her the most and it really did hurt. And I think what hurt me the most was just that lack of guidance when it came to emotional problems that you just like, I'm sure you can relate want to go to your mom for like when you're, Mm -hmm. you have dating problems and things like that. And I was just reflecting on this the other day about with my dad, not being in my life. He didn't see me go to prom. He didn't see me 
get my license, drive a car. He wasn't there for those chapters of my life. Like big so it did kind of feel, yeah, like it felt very isolating. And I'm sure you can relate to that as well. And it does make you grow up in a different kind of way where you're just very much feel like you're on your own. Like that Taylor Swift song, you're on your own kid, gets mm. me every time. <laughs> I listened to that song and I was like, I was thinking about it the other day. And I'm like, this, I have to, I have to ditch this mentality now, but I'm going to vibe to this song, but I need to ditch the mentality <laughs> because I try to do it now and it doesn't work in a marriage. It, it doesn't work. I mean, I know we're talking about parenting, but it doesn't work. I have a partner who's like a whole per- person who shows up for me and our communication and our, the functioning of our relationship doesn't work if I'm too hyper independent. Mm-hmm. Now that goes the other way. I try to also still give him the space to be his own person, which I think yeah. is good because um, he has things that he likes to do that I like to show my support for, but I'm not as enthusiastic about as he is. Like I think he that's has so that important. dirt bike. It can apply, you know, some of these concepts uh, aren't limited to parenting. They can, they can manifest in other ways, even our friendship. I think I ended up turning to you a lot when we were this age because you were such already such a, a wealth of of wisdom and advice and you were just I felt like you were really emotionally present and I wasn't getting that at home and it was something I was like desperately searching for especially about like you were saying like dating advice and all that stuff like my sister for a long time we were kind of close in age that like even though I had an older sister and you didn't she was still in that phase where like she didn't want to talk to me and she didn't want me to hang out with her and she didn't want me to have the same friends as her. So she was almost like rebelling against having to be the older sister because she just wanted to be an individual, which Mm. again could also end up being like a rejection wound for me. So I turned very heavily into trying to find friends, which didn't pan out really well until I met you. And then I I won't let you go. No, I won't let you go either. No, I I always say like our friendship is unlike anything I've ever experienced because I think it's because we have been in each other's lives since the beginning that we know all of the deepest, darkest secrets and traumas and all of that. We've connected through so many life experiences and Mm -hmm. being there for each other through some of the toughest moments. So it's a beautiful friendship and I will forever cherish it. I'll get off my tangent after this. But I think a lot of people don't value friendships as highly as I did at such a young age. When I met, when I finally met you, I feel like you had a lot of friends, but you didn't have, I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, like very close connection you were like trying to basically find after our neighbor, your friend who had left. And I was also searching for someone who was going to reflect back to me like that complete like value and loyalty to like the bitter end like the world could be changed like be ending and I'm like I'm gonna go find her (laughs) that kind of that kind of like ridiculous mentality you know and a lot of people at a lot of young ages like wanted to move from click to click and their priorities changed and like if one day you weren't as valuable as you were the day before like suddenly you weren't cool so they want to be your friend or like you know what I mean I I didn't want that and I had kept encountering it which is probably a universal thing a mirroring thing but it was just like once I found you our friendship has always felt like home oh I agree with that 100% and I think I definitely 
agree as well with trying to find someone who I think it was for me, it was like struggling to connect with people on a mental and emotional level, like you were saying, because mm-hmm. a lot of my friendships felt surface level at first. And like, I've, I look back on some of my friendships that I don't have in my life anymore. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> those were pretty surface level friendships. And I, I will never forget, like, I had this one really good friend as well. And she stopped hanging out with me when my parents got divorced found out that her mom oh I know would not let is. me yeah her mom would not <laughs> let her hang out with me because my parents were divorced and I remember just being like was she threatened by your mom <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it was must have been your mom was um, was cute so maybe she was threatened by your mom <laughs> whatever it was it I just remember it making me so sad because I felt very rejected in that moment again so yeah I think mm-hmm. we both struggle with rejection wounds and that's how we relate and help each other like on this healing journey because we can relate so much and we I had something that similar happen it's so weird like once we start talking all the similarities we have yeah. I have like I was friends with like the popular clique of girls in school, like pretty well, fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade, but I was getting invited to slumber parties, which let me tell you in fifth grade world, that is huge because when the invitations come out for parties and you don't get invited to the popular kids party, you're a loser. And it's still that way, I'm sure, even though we try to end it. So I got invited to their house, which like they lived in a different world in terms of like their house. Oh, yes. And I don't want to say their name because I don't want to put the whole family on blast, but they were, they had like a crazy house. And I just remember like walking through their house and meeting their parents and like, oh my God, this is your life. <laughs> like, what the hell? I had so many friends and- like that too. It's crazy. You're just like, what? Yeah. You're living like this? Yeah. And then, so then the opposite comes and I have my sleepover party, super excited. I invite all of them. We have a fun time. My mom spends a ton of money on like brunch food and like we do like arts and crafts and like build your own tacos the night before and make your own Sundays. It's like she made it fun. That was one thing my mom did, like was planning a good party and she was good at that. But then the next day, because I was really close to this person, I was like calling them, like, you know, like after school, still talking and instant messaging after school. And I got a, I like called her one time and she wouldn't answer. So I like kept calling because like you're a kid, you don't understand like I should probably just like cool it and I play it cool finally like her mom called my mom and was like like my daughter can't come over your house anymore because all of her clothes that she had at that slumber party smell like cigarette smoke and I've washed them like four or five times and I can't get it out and she's never allowed at your house again basically we couldn't be friends because my mom smoked cigarettes in the house oh That feels like rejection because that's out of your control. And now you're Mm -hmm. losing a friend because of something that wasn't even your fault. And that's so shitty. And it's -hmm. it's actually, it breaks my heart that things like this happen to to children. I also wonder like if some of those kids, because their lifestyles were so different, if like they had, they, you know, they were absorbing what they were being taught, which is like not humanity, not understanding that other people live differently but that doesn't mean that they're bad people mm-hmm. exactly and that. where we were living 12 people in a three-bedroom house halfway probably a quarter of the way converted the basement into like a living space I wonder if some of those people didn't come to my house and see how we were living and weren't like mortified and then didn't want to be my friend because they, they were like you're poor 
And like, you don't know any better when you're a kid, but I always appreciated that like your house was really clean and our houses were like the same size, but you never, you never let like my upbringing of like how my parents acted or the way like financially how we lived, like reflect how our friendship was going to be dictated, which was nice. Cause I felt like a lot of the time I felt like shameful about my mom because she just didn't really work a lot of my life like there was a small period where she worked a lot but most of my life she didn't work to achieve her dreams she wanted to be a nurse and she never did that and then like financially we we suffered I and that's one thing that I'm also very grateful for is that I was able to learn to be the least bit judgmental as I can be and I was not perfect as a child and I still am not perfect because we are human but I I know that everybody lives their life differently. I was just taught that in one way or another, even when my parents weren't around. But I think, too, I even had some experiences where I felt like I was less than. Like when mm-hmm. I, that friend I was talking about, we would always go shopping with our moms and she always wanted to go to Limited 2. And she'd Love be that shopping story. like all of the new items and I had to shop on the clearance rack Oh, my mom wouldn't even let me in the store. My mom wouldn't even bring me in the store. Yeah. She didn't want to, but I would like beggar. Like I remember I got one outfit from that store. It was like a skirt with like a sleeveless top. And I wore the shit out of that outfit because I don't know, for some dumb reason, it was important to me. And I think I ended up buying it with my own money from babysitting. Yeah, because I feel like we were taught at such a young age that and again, this is again having your value parents, comes from what you have. Yeah, and again having parents that lacked emotional awareness, emotion like self-awareness, things like that, didn't know how to teach their children or didn't have the time to teach their children how to deal with situations like that at school. So now you have all mm-hmm. of these kids who were never taught that. Think People about the ability to affirmate, like affirmating your child in that moment. I just think about like like me as a parent, even if I had the money, but I really didn't want to spend it. I think I would teach my children, you know, there's like a limit, you know, mm-hmm. and I would just like, I feel like I would just like get down at their level and just like try to like hold their hands and be like, I just want you to know that like, I know you really want this, but I think like delayed gratification is going to benefit you and your value does not derive from an object no you mean so much more than like what anyone else thinks and I think that also might come from like a lot of like nurturing and loving from Mm -hmm. an early age like I see those kids who I feel like in a conversation with my friend the other day about how like her parents just like implicitly wanted her like she was so loved and so wanted and planned for and she never felt like she was unwanted that she like didn't need to derive who she was from like some exterior source because even now she doesn't and she's like she makes it look like she's skating through life which I'm sure of course you know everyone has their struggles but just like how much that can benefit children I wonder if being too smothered at some point makes somebody struggle with perfectionism because they're afraid to like let their parent down in some way because they're so loved I wonder. Mm, I think finding the balance between letting them know that they're wanted and loved and learning and giving them the space to be their own person. I think think it's a balance of like, you know, once your kids start to find out who they are, loving them through their different seasons, you know, like if your kid's going through different phases, it's hard if they're 
rebelling, but just like allowing them to express themselves, whether you agree with it or not, so that they know that like, no matter what, they can come to you because that's really important. Yes. All right. So this is going to be the last question that I do for this part, and then I'll move into our parenting rules. So the last question for this one, it's what was a childhood experience that impacted you that you will never forget? So for me, I was going to, I'm not going to say like what everybody on that listens to this podcast knows impacted me the most because Mm -hmm. I talk about all the freaking time and talk about something else. Pick a new story. Yeah, I'm I'm going to talk about something else. So this was probably when I was about 14-ish. I want to say I was like 14, but I actually almost died. And that was a very interesting situation that happened to me because the whole entire time up to that point, I was being told basically that I was fine. So I was tubing with some of my friends and I had fell off the tube and swallowed some of the lake water. And the lake water ended up getting into my blood and ended up getting into my lungs. And I ended up getting a staph blood infection and staph pneumonia. So sick. You were so sick. I was so sick. But before I found out that I had this, it was like, it felt like a month. I'm not sure the exact timeline of going in and out of the ER, in and out of my doctor's office. They told me that I was just having muscle spasms. They told me that I was constipated. They made my mom give me an enema. And that was very like the worst thing ever. The worst experience ever. It was like super awkward and uncomfortable. And then finally, I was at my doctor's office and I had no oxygen level. So they rushed me in an ambulance to the hospital. And that's when they finally did more tests and found out that I had a staph infection and a severe case of pneumonia. So fast forward a little bit after literally crying on the floor, begging my mom to take me to the doctors for like the fifth time. She was like, they're saying you're fine. I don't understand. You're not in pain. Like, it's fine. Like, get up, get off the floor. And I'm literally like struggling to get off the floor because Mm -hmm. I'm in so much pain. And she thought I was faking it. Anyways, I finally got an antibiotic that ended up working after multiple tries of trying to find one. I just remember my family coming in and like, which is super strong oh yeah I don't, I don't remember what it was but my I family think I remember you telling started, me that they like, gave you an IV and it like hurt in the IV and now as an adult I'm like oh that was probably bang oh yeah what ended up happening was I had to get a pick line for three months yeah that makes sense because you're not supposed to put a bank through a peripheral line you're supposed yeah. to put it through a central line and a pick line is a type of central line yeah, for like three months, they had me injecting oh, myself God. with Pick medication. Pick are freaking terrible. For like three day, uh, three times a day. And Poor getting man. that changed by the nurse was painful too. Oh, but... yeah, because they're, they're not, I don't know about back then, but they're like in your upper inner arm and they're like not sutured in right now. Like the ones we have in the hospital now, they're like, they clip into like a sticker that sticks to your arm. And like when you take it off and clean it, like it can come out and then you have to like reinsert it to where it was and it was it was terrible but yeah so that just I just remember that being a really scary time in my life thinking that I was gonna die my family came in and like started praying over me and that you was were like, like am I dead <laughs> I was just like what's happening you're like I'm so shook right now I'm like <laughs> what's happening I think a similar oh my god a similar story you remember my story about my, my like, how my asthma came about? 
I was having trouble like just like walking around and I like I just it almost feels like like that crushing sensation I get now when I get like super anxious out of nowhere and it just felt like I couldn't take in enough air Mm. I ended up sleeping over my grandparents house my dad's dad and I remember like they only had one flight of stairs and I was, I would literally like walk up like two steps and I'd have to like sit down and take a break because I couldn't oh, wow. take in enough air. And I just remember I kept telling everyone like something's wrong. Like I, I can't breathe. And finally my mom had taken me to, I think it was my regular pediatric doctor. I can't remember if it was urgent care. I don't think urgent care was a thing. So I think I had to go to the pediatric doctor and they gave me like a nebulizer treatment because they were like, I sounded like I had like wheezing or whatever and I couldn't take in enough air. And I feel a little better in the office. I breathe a little better in the office. I go home. Now my mom smokes cigarettes at home. Mm. That is one of the major triggers to asthma. I don't think she told my primary care doctor that that was the case. So it gets worse. We need to go back to the doctor. I take another nebulizer treatment, feel a little better, go home, back to cigarette smoking. Now it's really bad. I'm like wheezing and I can feel the wheezing in my body. I physically breathe in just a tiny bit, feel like crackling wheeziness in my whole back, basically when I breathe. And I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. So we go to the emergency room and my dad and my mom are both there which I love because every time I went to the hospital, I wanted my dad there. They give me a third nebulizer treatment. Now, keep in mind, this is all in the same day. I've been to three doctors in one day and had three nebulizer treatments and barely eaten. So in the ED, now they give me a third nebulizer treatment, so many steroids. I end up throwing up because I hadn't eaten anything. And my dad loved to tell this story that it was hilarious i threw up all the mucus because i hadn't been eating mm. so all this green mucus comes out oh thanks for like, that thanks for that yeah you're welcome so he used to make this joke like oh it was so awesome it was like the exorcist and i was like i'm glad it was awesome for you because it was terrible for me the one actually experiencing it and so they ended up coming to me like the er doc and was like yeah your airway is almost completely closed Even after all those nebulizer treatments. So they admitted me to the hospital and I had to wake up every hour on the hour and take a breathing treatment. And then I also, I I imagine I was probably, probably, I'm sure I had an IV, but I was young enough that I don't remember that explicitly. So I'm sure I was getting like some type of IV. Yeah, because in the hospital, if something happens to you and you code, they need intravenous access to like code you because those immediate like bloodstream medications are going to save your life possibly. You probably had Um, maybe. Oh yeah, I've had them. I just, I feel like it had to have been for sure in that visit. So I'm sure they were giving me like other steroids or whatever through my IV. But I remember they had to like check us out or discharge us or whatever. And my mom was there. My dad stayed the night with me, but then he had to work. So he left. So my mom came to get me when I was leaving the hospital. And I just remember the doctor like explicitly telling my mom, like, she does have asthma. We're going to send her home with all this stuff and inhaler, blah, blah, blah. And him being like, cigarette, like, do you smoke? And of course, my mom lies. I don't know why you lied. You smell like cigarette smoke. He knows. 
And he was just like, that's one of the major triggers for asthma. And then we get home and I'm like telling her when we get home, I'm like, you need to st- quit smoking because it's not just affecting you. Like it's bad for my asthma. And she's like, the doctor never said that. Uh, Why would you make that up? And Nothing like, like gaslighting. I'm like, were you in the same room that I was in? And I remember my sister and me just like thinking how crazy she was like did you literally have selective hearing when he was talking yeah no she was literally choosing not to hear what she funniest thing when i moved out and moved in with you at like 18 i've never had a single problem with asthma ever again i've never even bought an inhaler as an adult i'm telling you we are energetically sensitive to our environment it's so important to have a healthy environment so important so that was a little bit about our background of our crazy childhood teen years. But let's move on to our parenting rules and how all of that that we've went through in our childhood and whatnot impacts how we would parent a child. So the first one is when it comes to disciplining your children, what are your views? I would probably take the same view that I took with my sister's kids, which is probably easier as an auntie than a parent, but I would still try to do the exact same thing, which is like no hitting. And I remember when I was in college in like psychology, really learning about how effective it is with small children when you get in their space, not in an aggressive way, but like you get on their level, like complete calmness. You get on their level, even if they're melting down, you very calmly talk to them about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and why they're in trouble. And it really worked really well with my niece, especially. My nephew, he has autism. So his was a mix of different approaches because sometimes, you know, he was having like sensory problems. So that wasn't necessarily something he could fully control. He needed some something else. But my my niece, I used to just like get in her face. I remember she hated having her hair done. And I would explain to her, I say, we would go I would get in her face and be like, you're not in trouble. I'm not mad at you. I know you don't like having your hair done, but we're going to use the detangler. And I would like basically do what I do with my, what we're taught to do with our patients. I would explain to her what I was going to do every step of the way. I would do, I would tell her as I was going to do it, I would give her like a role in what we were doing. So things like that, even if she was like melting down and she thought she was in trouble, I would always talk to her and I would be like, you're not in trouble but you need to know that doing that is not okay so that's that i don't concept, feel I like being in trouble yeah that, i like, hate the concept the girl, of being in trouble girl kind like, of energy just the whole concept of being in trouble is like traumatic you're like oh my god i'm going to be in trouble i don't want yeah. to do that that's to why my i kids. also don't like like when i think of when people talk to a child and this is just how i and personally I wouldn't talk to my child this way where you're like, oh, good girl, good boy, bad girl, mm-hmm. bad boy. Like, like language like awareness. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And for me, I definitely want to take a very similar approach and I want to be like a guide. I want to teach and lead by example mm-hmm. as well as I think that's really important too, because sometimes, you know, parents could say one thing that you shouldn't be doing and then they'll go and do it in front of you. And it's like, Yeah, it's like if you're going to be a parent, you're basically like the leader of the house and you need to, just like in any other leadership position, you need to lead by example. You know what I mean? You can't just tell your kids to do something and then in front of them do blatantly the opposite. It's like telling your kids not to curse and then in front of them, you're like, (laughs) like, you can't do that. 
then they're like, oh, you're a hypocrite, bro. I'm going to swear when you're not around. Exactly. And another big thing for me when it comes to discipline is not isolating my child when I'm mad at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we used to get put in our room. Yeah, same. And my mom, she'd be like, just go sit in your room. You're in trouble. We yep. just sit in there for like, hours. Go to your room. My, that was my dad's go-to was like the yelling and the go to your room and think about what you did type of energy but then I'm sitting up there in my room feeling isolated feeling rejected feeling like I'm worthless feeling like I messed up I did something terrible I'm a bad person and now I'm dealing with my emotions on my own yet again so it's like I want to help my child understand why something like you were saying why something is not okay Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to isolate them and make them it's, think about what they did when they don't know yeah. what they did was wrong. Yeah, yeah. there's like this, uh, I don't want to say it's like a business model, but it's like a strategy that they used to teach us when I worked in the lab. And they called it like root cause analysis, which is like getting all like working. And there was a cool picture of like a girl on an iceberg that they used to use as a reference. And like, it turned out that like the root cause was under the water at the tip of the iceberg on the other side and you had to work through all these layers to get to like what the actual tip of the iceberg under the water was because that was what really caused everything above it and so I think that's a wise way to approach parenting is like okay what's the root cause of why they're acting that way is it because they simply need affection and attention right now is it simply because they're hungry tired what is it there's like a group of things that Trevor's mom now asks him and she's like are you hungry are you tired and all these things like are all their basic needs met yeah or, is, exactly. or are they not met and that's why they're upset and I think one really important thing for me that was really important to my sister is eating children and eating she never has in either direction told her children or forced her children because we were forced to eat more than when they're hungry and she's never forced anything with eating she allows them to eat at their own pace and eat as much as little as they want and she'll explain to them like if they're doing something like okay food might not be available later so either grab a snack or maybe you will be hungry later and she just kind of explains that to them and she allows them to learn that process of relationship with food on their own and I always admired that so I would love to do that because we weren't given that same space I love that yeah I can relate to the eating thing because As you know, I was a picky eater and I did not eat a lot. Your mom also mentioned that many times before. But (sighs) what happened when I didn't eat at my house was that my parents would fear me into eating. They would tell me that I was going to end up in the hospital with IVs in me because I didn't eat. Yeah, that was like one of the, I specifically remember them telling me that. My husband was shamed in the opposite way. So he was like 14 years old, like almost six foot five you know, very, very thin and really hungry. And sometimes it was his own fault because there were, I guess, a couple of times, and I've only seen him do this as an adult once, where he ate so much that then he got, he made himself sick. So I guess he had done that like maybe two or three times as a kid, but he has a crazy metabolism, you know? And so he eats a lot more than the average person and goes to bed and wakes up and loses five pounds. So he just he needed a lot of caloric intake and they would shame him about at his at his dad's house about how much he was eating and why he was eating that much and you need to have these limits and there should never be shame involved it was it's sad because now they like make a joke 
joke about it to him. And I think that that's even still rude to this day. Like, I'm sorry, you're not six feet tall and have a hyper metabolism. Yeah. I don't shame him in our house. I let him eat as much as he feels like he needs to eat. I probably all try to force too too much food on him. I'm like, are you sure you're not hungry? You want to eat more? But his mom is the same way. Like she doesn't put restrictions on him. She's like, if you want to eat more and you're hungry, then eat. If you're full, then you're full, you know? And another thing that I noticed with kids that actually can help avoiding a lot of conflict is allowing the child to have a choice to make a decision on their own without making it for them. Like I heard that's a really good way to get your child to do something that you want them to do essentially is Mm. giving them a choice instead of demanding them to do something right then and there. Like for example, it's time to go to bed. It's time to turn the TV off. Giving them a warning before you just come out and say, we're turning the TV off right now. Giving them that warning. Okay. In five minutes, we're going to turn the TV off. And then you come back and you say, okay, it's been five minutes. Do you want to turn the TV off or do you want me to turn the TV off? And like giving them, kind of putting them in the driver's seat. It's like seat. Giving, them, giving them a role in what's yeah, going on. Exactly. Yeah. Like allowing them to make decisions and giving them options and choices and, you know, with food as well. Like, okay, so we have three options tonight. Which one would you like? Yeah, like before, like almost not that you're letting them dictate because people get so freaking high and money on their horse like i'm not letting my kid dictate to me like what what we're gonna do but they're still a part of the family shouldn't they be taken into consideration like that's where they're gonna learn respect they're gonna learn that you respect them enough to consider what they want or what's important to them and they're gonna respect you because when you negate their respect they grow up and they don't have any for you because they're like well they don't give a shit about me so i'm gonna break all the rules Exactly. And at the end of the day, I feel like giving children the option puts them into this like critical thinking role as well. There's not enough critical mm, it thinking. It develops their critical thinking. That's actually really wise. Um, because it does because it helps them think it helps them think like, okay, well, it could happen this way or it could happen that way. Exactly. And it also teaches them a sense of like delayed gratification because in order to critically think you have to think delayed Mm -hmm. you can't think about oh what's easy what can i do now you have to think about like okay if i do this and it's easy these could be the outcomes if i wait and i do this other thing these could be the outcomes is it better to wait or is it better to do it now and then they learn those boundaries as teenagers exactly and that's why i think it's just so important to just give options and no, it does not it's make consideration really. It's just like you. considering, yeah, it's like just considering another human being. It's like, why would you want to be an inconsiderate parent and be like, I'm not gonna like, I get that, you know, so, sometimes children can just be difficult and maybe they're not gonna make a choice. Because yeah, as an aunt, I've seen happen. children you give them two options and they're like, I'm, I don't like either of them. Yeah. Yeah. And they course. get a little snotty. And that's and you're when like, you okay. know you have to like, you're like, if you don't make a choice, I'm going to make one for you. And those are the two options. So it's going to be one of these two. So which one do you like better? But it also requires patience because exactly. you have to have patience. That's what time. I've learned. Yeah. I've learned that we aren't just here to teach our children. Our children are here to teach us too. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we should be to open us. to that. I think we should be open to that, learning from our children. I think it's beautiful because then you can relive like aspects of your own childhood that maybe you didn't achieve. Well, I also think childhood is really magical because like think about Christmas as an adult. Like, yeah, you can do all the things to make it really magical. But like kids just like it's almost like 
like a Disney fantasy. Have that you know, inner like magic. Take it to such a level, and you're like living through them vicariously, ma- like magically. Like one of my favorite things. My sister used to think I was mean, but I would say like I don't really want to give my kids gifts till they're like four or five, and even then I want to do things like wrap up a banana if that's like their favorite fruit or whatever. Like I don't want to get them real gifts. Because I want them to, like, there's like a video online of a little boy who opens a banana on Christmas morning. He just like holds up his banana and he's like, oh my God, I got a banana. And he's so excited. Like some kid gets like an avocado. It's an avocado. Yeah, they're like so excited. And it's, it's not about what the physical object is. It's like, if you're, I feel like I don't want to say like raising them right because I don't think there's one way to raise children. I think everyone has different styles that work for them and work for their child. And you just have to kind of ebb and flow until you find that Mm -hmm. balance. But like, I think that teaches a little bit of appreciating the small things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great value. Great value. Because we were always like gifts to like the edge of the living room floor like couldn't walk in the living room Mm. because we had so many gifts because my mom would cripple herself financially all year long to buy gifts Mm. and then we would either break them not play with them or she'd take them away because we didn't clean them up yeah what's the point in that everybody's miserable all year long from christmas and i will say i think the part that's kind of sucks the most in my opinion about the whole Christmas thing and the Santa thing is that kids unfortunately they talk with other kids and they talk about what they got for gifts ruin it yep and they're like oh I got this for a gift Santa gave me this oh well Santa gave me this and then they like compare who has the better gifts and then they start like feeling some type of way because their friend has this really nice gift and they got you know just like a pair of socks or something Honestly, once I became a teenager, I was like, my stocking was my favorite gift. Like socks were where it was at. I was like, I would tell my parents purposely, like, if you don't get me socks for Christmas, I will be angry. I can't I say that I love new socks. I, I loved them. socks. My parents would buy me like the really nice, like padded ones with like cute designs and stuff on them at Christmas time. That's why I was always like, you better get my socks. But yeah, like even now as an adult, my mom used to, I kind of, I got shafted a little because I like live far away and she, many years she just like, she's terrible at minute, an administrative task. So she like wouldn't go to the post office and do the whole process of mailing. But like tomorrow I'm going out and I'm going to start shopping for my sister. I'm making her a box because my mom used to make her a box and they're Hopefully really important to my to sister. She already knows. Oh, that she's good. getting the box because I there were a few there were a few things that my mom put in there that I might not have had in mind that I wanted to make sure my sister still had, hmm. but that like it's like self care stuff and Aww. like socks and like your favorite candies and that kind of stuff that my mom used to do for my sister and um once you're an adult it's like those things are really nice like oh, getting absolutely. chapstick and Toblerones you're like what the hell I love this yeah the game changes when you're an adult when I was a kid I definitely look for the iPod right now I wanted like the next big thing because I cared way too much about the material sides of life but then you get older and you gain you know knowledge about what actually really truly matters and what you should value in life and how life is short and that the material sides of life you know don't matter as much as creating experiences with your loved ones at least that's my opinion that's my value my belief but Mm -hmm. so the next one is what is your parenting rule when it comes to parties Mm. so my mom had a rule people are gonna judge her but it's fine because she's not alive so judge all you want 
and I'm a responsible functioning human being and so is my sister. My mom had a rule that when we were in high school, we were going to drink. We had to drink at home and we could have a small group of friends over, but we were going to drink at home because she was going to monitor us. I was definitely one of those friends. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I don't think anyone ever like fully got sick or blacked out or anything. And no one ever got I don't think did ambu- I don't remember anyone like going away in an ambulance or anything. So no, we had like six one time. Yeah. I got sick once, but I was in college by then and that was my own fault. But I'm talking about um, you know who I'm talking about? Mountain Dew Code Red. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I guess I forgot about that. Okay. So a few people over the years got sick, but not it wasn't often. It was more often or not that we didn't get sick. And um I felt like by the time I got to college, I wasn't like going out and doing crazy stuff. I was like more like, man, I don't need to go out and party. Like occasionally usually I'd go out with you guys to like the bar or whatever, but not like a crazy amount. And now you don't drink really at all. I don't really drink like at all. And I guess like you have to really judge for yourself how your kids are handling it, what they're doing. I know that alcohol affects your brain and the way that it grows and everything. And obviously some people have Addiction runs in my family, but I never really, I always respected the knowledge because my parents were both very straightforward with me about addiction in our family that I knew I didn't want that same life because I saw the family members and how their lives had panned out. So I always knew that in myself that I needed to be like a smidge responsible, but it could backfire. I'm sure there's some kids who might have had that approach who would tell you now that, you know, they struggle with addiction from it. Mm. So I think you have to figure out like what's going to, like I said, I think it's, you have to figure out what's going to work best for you and your kid. Yeah. Individual kid. I definitely want to instill in my child to make good decisions when it comes to being at a party. Like if Mm -hmm. for some reason they end up at a party. females or boys. Boys need to learn when you're intoxicated, that is not an excuse to cross boundaries that you don't normally cross, buddy. 100%. Respect the women. Because I've definitely experienced something like that before at parties and it's not fun. And I also want them to know not to get into a car with someone at a party. Mm-hmm. I will come get you. Big one. That was if always my parents. They party, were like, like if you end up at a party and you need, doesn't you matter the time. I hit me up because I will not be mad. I'd rather you safe than get into a car with someone at a party. So that's how I feel about that. And I don't know if I could do it at, I'm at my house because I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's child in that way. Mm, Yeah, I don't think that I would want to be responsible for other people's kids. So the fact that my mom did that, I'm just like, I mean, to each their own. I know many other people who have also had a parent that was like that. But if somebody got someone else's like controlling parent found out and came to that would not be fun. Yeah. And now with the internet and videos and social media, people could record stuff and oh, then like post it. And then you could go to jail probably for like serving minors. Exactly. Like, I'm not trying to take that on. <laughs> absolutely not. I'd be like, everyone put your, I mean, like in a scenario where if I had the same mentality as my mom, which I'm not saying I specifically do, but nowadays you'd have to be like, all right, everybody, you have to put your phones in this safe and I'm going to lock it. No one can say anything to anybody about this. then that sounds creepy so literally anyway yeah but I do I do agree if you try to control your child too much they will rebel and overindulge in the good stuff that they're told Mm -hmm. they're not supposed to the good bad stuff yeah they don't know it's bad yet they don't understand why it's bad yet all right so parenting rules when it comes to cell phones 
Family time is family time. What age? And that includes me. Cell phone. Oh, see it. So I had a cell phone in eighth grade, and it was a flip phone. It's not a smartphone, and I didn't have texting. I didn't get a texting cell phone until high school. I think I was like a freshman. I feel like that's that's a good age. You don't need a phone before that. I had a texting cell phone. The first one, I think I was definitely in high school too. Maybe eighth grade. Might have been eighth grade. Yeah, Yeah. that's like a good age. Like my niece already, because of like my sister like bought an iPhone for herself and then got one free. So she gave it to my niece, but she's, she's only like, she's going to be, my God, is she 11 this year or 12? I think she's 12 this year. I can't do math right now. It's too early in the morning. Point is she's like a preteen and she already has an iPhone. And I'm just like, she does not need all that technology at her fingertips. And sometimes it makes me sad because I go there to visit and she's like on her phone with her friends more than she's present for family things. And my sister has to like repeatedly ask her to get off her phone. Yeah, there definitely has to be boundaries. And also too, I think for me, I would want for the safety for my child to have a cell phone that they could call me on. Yeah, they they have like ones that they make for small children where like you can program like four numbers into it. It doesn't have internet access. You can like call like mom, dad. I would do something. Grandparents. You know what I mean? Like in an emergency or 911. Like I would do that younger than that age, but you don't need an iPhone connected to the internet. And that goes to say too, like social media, because I remember I used to have to hide so much as a child with social media because I was not allowed to have a MySpace. I had to like clear the browser history Hmm. and like do all that like weird shit. They didn't notice that I was on it. Yeah, I was not allowed to have a MySpace, but I did anyway. So that's the other thing. You you could tell a child not to do something. And they're most likely going to want to rebel against that. I think I would just stick overall to the same concept. Like family time is family time. Like we're going to have dinner together or we're going to sit down and like play games or like do charades or whatever we're doing. Like if we're having like a party with like family friends, like put your phone away. Yeah. And be here because these this is going to go by fast. Yeah. Be present and to also teach too that anything that you put online is out there. Permanent. Yeah, everything will always be out there, whatever you put online. So that's something you definitely got to, I'm going to definitely teach my child so they make smart decisions on social media. Okay, so what about your parenting rules when it comes to sleepovers? You want them? Let's do it. The only time I would say no is if I was mentally not in a space to like host it. But then I would also ask my partner, hopefully I would still be married. Can you like monitor this situation? But my mom was always like, yeah sure like you used to sleep over all the time and then when it was just your mom I slept over all the time yeah so I used to go to sleepovers all the time but I will say that I have also called my parents to come pick me up from sleepovers many times Mm -hmm. because I felt unsafe in Mm -hmm. certain situations there have been a couple sleepovers I've been at where like the parents would be fighting and I would feel like very uncomfortable literally in the middle of the night so that is my concerns with like sleepovers Sleepovers is that I'm afraid of my child being put in a situation where they're in danger or like in harm or dealing with conflict or in a comfortable uncomfortable mm. situation. I meant like me have sleepovers. Oh yes. Like the kids can come over my house all they want. I don't necessarily like the idea of my kid going like my kids yes, could go to your house. Struggle. My kids could go to your house. Yeah, I would definitely let my kids go like, to your house. 
that's the thing if I knew them if they were my friend they're my friend and I grew up with them and I understand their dynamic that they're going to protect your child like they protect their own not that they're going to take advantage of your kid the second your back is turned yeah I don't I have a lot of trust issues I probably would be like I don't know this person very well but they can come to our house (laughs) yeah exactly and I know for a fact that my child will probably not like that because I didn't like that (laughs) I didn't like getting told that My mom wanted to meet everyone at least once, and I found it so embarrassing. But now I look back and I'm like... No, more than once. No. All the things that happened to my sister and I growing up, and then, like, all the Netflix series about, like, people are like, I went to my neighbor's house once, and then they did, like, kitty porn with me. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no. No, no, no. No. Mm -mm." Yeah. It's a little bit like... Trevor will probably be like, if we ever have kids, he'll probably be like, you're being a little bit too, like, fear-based. And I'm like, for good reason okay I know These things yeah. really happen I have experienced certain things it, myself exactly so yeah that's that's gonna that's gonna be an interesting conversation to have when that comes because I know for a fact that I did not enjoy when my mom did that to me but I know I now being, why she did mm, I think being open and honest from the get-go about like your fears and what could happen and you know even admitting to your kid, like, I I may seem irrational to you, but I've had things happen to me. I know people firsthand who've had things happen to them. Just like, like I said, like that consideration of like, a lot of people have this mentality of like, well, they don't need to know the why. Mm -hmm. But how does the relationship change if you give them the why? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And what does that do to them and their critical thinking as they become adults, and they grasp that concept of everything has a why behind it? Mm -hmm. communication is key so do you believe in grounding your children at first because of the way that our language of grounding has changed I thought you meant like meditation grounding and I was immediately like yes of course I want to do that like sound baths and yoga of course I I want to ground them in who they are but then I then I flipped to like the negative 90s term of what grounding meant I don't I don't think it's effective my sister was grounded so many times and she just kept doing bad shit yeah no I again like I I walk a very and it's isolating yeah I walk a very fine line when it comes to punishment I don't believe in punishment really I don't like, like the word punishment. That's the it's thing. Negative. It's like, it's more so like I want to teach them. It's like communication and reconciliation. But I would definitely How teach them about consequences. About consequences. Yeah, exactly. Like mm. teach them about the consequences of their actions and why it's wrong. Mm. Sometimes I think that's um, like also giving them the leeway to make their decisions for themselves if they come to you too much and be like, Oh, I've heard you, but it's ultimately your decision. So you decide and kind of letting them learn through experience. Mm -hmm. Because at some point you have to trust that you gave them the tools to make the right decisions once they're like preteens and teenagers. And if they don't, they're going to have to deal with the consequences and then they'll know, okay, I didn't like that. Not going to do it again. Yeah, exactly. Now, the last one is what about chores? Your beliefs on chores, like what kind of mentality do you have when it comes to children and chores? So I've always taken this approach that like if my kid wants to do like a lot of like physical activities, like they want to be an athlete and they're a good student and they like school and they want to do like something creative, like dancing or painting or whatever it is, I would give them probably like one or two very minimal chores. And one of those would probably be like to keep their space tidy and whatever that means 
in terms of like, not necessarily my expectation, but whatever gives them harmony. Cause I want to teach them like your space is supposed to be your happy place where you have harmony. Yeah. Does a mess give you harmony and kind of like give them that, that decision-making, I guess, at a, once they're like cognitively able to, but I've always had that approach of like, if my kid's doing a lot, I don't think that I need to pile on, like, you need to clean the whole house. But if my kid isn't involved in like other activities that will teach them discipline, time management, you have to work hard for the things that you want. I think it is my responsibility to make up that slack and give them maybe not an absorbent amount of chores, but more chores. Yes. Just so they learn a little bit of responsibility, discipline, time management. Yeah. I like the way that you phrase that. I agree with that. Wow. So this was a long episode, but we talked about a lot and I think it was very insightful. I learned a lot from your perspectives, but I hope you guys enjoyed this little early morning chat and yeah, make sure to check out the show notes below to follow us on social media and connect with us more and send us an email if you want to connect as well. Thoughts that manifest at gmail.com. We would love to chat with some of you on the podcast. So if you were wanting to come on to the podcast and chat with us, let us know. We would love to chat with you guys. And until next time. Bye guys. Mm -hmm.